0: Thank you for joining the Element Church Podcast, where we exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope this message inspires and strengthens your faith. Have you ever said something stupid, something ignorant, uh, something you regret, and immediately when you say it, you wonder why you're allowed to be a human being? Just me? Anybody else? I mean, I know we all think that about other people occasionally, uh, but have you ever thought that or done that with yourself? Several years ago, I was telling a story in a sermon here at Element, uh, a story about someone, that, uh, someone from a previous church that I ministered at who was just being incredibly frustrating to me back when I was serving there. They were just, I was just frustrated with how they were acting and how they were interacting in, in a board meeting that we were having at that church. I honestly don't remember what the illustration was even about. And clearly I had not thought the thing through because to tell the story correctly, I needed to use a name. And when I got to the point of the story where a name was required, I realized I can't use this person's name. Like what if the church hears it? What if they end up hearing it. So in the moment, on the fly, I just used a, you know, a pseudo name, a fake name, which isn't a big deal. We do that all the time. John Doe, Jane Doe, things like that. Only I didn't just use the name. I said this, let's call them blank. And I threw out a name, a very, very common name. It's the first thing that came to my, to my mind. And then I said this, because that doesn't sound like a very smart name. Yeah, awkward laughing like about now. Inside, I begin to panic. Like, I'm thinking, you did not just say that out loud, but I'm also trying to continue preaching out loud while seeing people in the congregation who had that name. So what I basically did was tell everyone who has that name, everyone who named their child that name, everyone who's a loved one that has a, uh, that their loved one has that name, that because of that name, they're stupid. I should not be allowed to be a human being. And I preach for a living, by the way. Like, I just threw out a name, not thinking about the implications behind it. That a person with that name may not hold the characteristics that I was talking about or the characteristic that I said. And in the same way, I think we can often, even unintentionally, attribute to God and attribute to God's name characteristics that aren't true about him. And that's why it's so important that we not only know what God's name is, but what his name means about him. What it means about who he is and his character. And that's why we're continuing our sermon series we're in right now called God Has a Name. And today we're looking at what's probably the most important thing about God. If you don't know, you might be wondering who I am. My name is Jeff Manis. I'm the lead pastor here. If you want to know what name I use in that sermon, that is locked in a vault with a key that will never be spoken ever again. Uh, I do thank you guys for being here today. Whether you're new or whether you call Element Church your home, I take very seriously the fact that you trust us and trust God with some of your valuable time. And I pray that today's service and your time here today uh, would be a blessing to you. If you're watching online, thanks for being with us as well. If you've ever, you're watching online and you've made a fool of yourself before like I have, just put a thumbs up in the comment section and we'll all commiserate together. That would be amazing. Our whole series is based on Exodus 34 verses 5 through 7. It is the most quoted scripture In the scriptures, it's repeated more than 27 times in the Old Testament alone. And this in Exodus is the place where God not only gives his name to Moses, Yahweh, but he describes what his name means. He describes his character, who he is at his very core. Last week, we started looking at just at what what's so important about God's name. We cannot go back and kind of review everything from last week, but it's super important. So if you missed it, go back and watch or listen to, to that. And there's so many parts about God's name we're not going to get into. But today for our launching point, we're going back to Exodus 34 verses 5. And then the first part of verse 6 says this, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, that's Moses, and he called out his own name, Yahweh, and we talked last week about what that means. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, the Lord, and then he describes who he is. He describes his character, or really the the full definition of his name, starting with this, the God of compassion and mercy. It can actually be translated compassion and grace. John Mark Comer, pastor and author, he's the author of a book called God Has a Name. We just took that name because it was good enough for the series. But his book was super helpful for me as we planned this series. I highly recommend it. We have some available at the, at the store in the lobby or just go to Amazon. Uh, you can get one there as well. God Has a Name. In his book, he said this. In the Hebrew scriptures, order matters. Order is a clue as to what's most important. The fact that compassionate and gracious is at the top of the list of Yahweh's character traits means it's the dominant one, the most important thing there is to know about him, which is why I said that earlier. In the Hebrew language, which the Old Testament was written originally in Hebrew, the word compassion that we have in our main scripture is a feeling kind of word. It's the, the, the idea behind it is the, the feeling a good parent has towards their children. Now, I know not everyone had that as a child, didn't have a good father example. And the reality is, there's a very real danger for, for all of us that we place upon God, our heavenly father, the characteristics, mistakes, failures, and sins of our earthly fathers. It's a real danger. It's, it's like doing what I did in my sermon that I told you about to start with. Uh, we hear the name or the word father, and then because of our dads, we think, well, that can't be a very good God. But we can't do that. We cannot put upon God the negative characteristics of our earthly fathers, even the negative ones of good earthly fathers, because even the greatest dads have flaws, but our heavenly father has no flaws. So we got to be careful not to do that. So the Hebrew word for compassion is a feeling word, the feeling a a good parent has towards their children. Then the Hebrew word for mercy or grace is now an action word. It's not just just feeling, but now it's doing. It's, It's not just to have compassion, but to show mercy, grace, and favor. And when you put these two words together, compassion and mercy, in the Hebrew language, it looks like this: um, It's "Rahum we Hanun." If you ever have a frog in your throat, just speak Hebrew; It comes right out. Rah- "Rahum we Hanun." I will not ask you to repeat it because COVID regulations say you can't spit on people in front of you, so we don't want you to do that. So, it's that that phrase, that word, "Rahum we Hanun." It it's when a parent comes, runs to the aid or the rescue of their child. And we see this expression, this exact expression, About God, later on in the Old Testament, Psalm 103, verses six through eight, and then verse 13. King David here now is speaking about God, and he says this. The Lord, that's literally Yahweh, gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. So now David is calling back. He's hearkening back. To Exodus 34, that we already read. And then he just quotes this is one of those places it's quoted in scripture. He just quotes what God said about himself The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Rahum we hanun. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love, which we'll look at next week. And then jumping to verse 13, David now gives this definition of what that means The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. This is why uh, King David at the start of Psalm 103 in verse two says this about God. Let all that I am praise the Lord, Yahweh. May I never forget the good things he does for me. And that's where we can easily start to have objections. <laughs> whoa, 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 it's like time out. Like good things what good things has God done for me? And the reality is all of us, like all of us, very easily and quickly could rattle off a list of things that have happened in our life that are not good. In fact, for some of you, this is the very reason you've chosen not to believe in God because God has allowed some bad things to happen in your life or the life of someone you love, and you just can't believe in a God who would do that. And I understand. I, 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 I know how hard it can be to reconcile in our brains this idea of, of a God who does good things than with some of the things that happen in this world that are horrible even beyond words. And I hope you know, if that's you, that you are welcome to wrestle with your faith here. And we will love you as you do it. But here's what I want us to see today. We can't talk about everything, so here's the big idea that will drive the rest of our our time today. Not everything that happens to me is from God, but everything God does for me is good. Isn't that good? Not everything that happens to me is from God. Yes, he allows it. He absolutely can and will use it in our lives, but he doesn't cause all of it. We're actually going to look at this more in detail in June when we do a sermon series through the book of Job in the Bible that I've been sitting on for years, and we're calling it When God Disappears. But for now, not everything that happens to me is from God but everything God does for me is good. We have to believe that. We have to. It's who he is, that he's not just God. He's good, and he does good things. So here's the big question we're going to answer today. What good things does God do for me? What good things does God do for me? Main scripture is Psalm 103, verses 1 through 12. If you don't own a Bible, we always want to make sure you know how to get one. You can download a free one called YouVersion on any mobile device, or if you're here in person, ask for a Bible out at guest services before you go. We'll get you one for now. All the verses will be on the screen. We've already read a little bit of Psalm 103. We're going to reread it here in a second. As I said, it's written by King David. The same David that slayed the giant Goliath but also, let's not forget, the same David that committed adultery and murder, but then was forgiven, restored through this God of compassion and mercy, Rahum, we, Hanun. I think David, in writing this, had to have been thinking of what God saved him from. And before we dive into the scripture, I just want to pause and pray that God would open our hearts, our minds, and our ears today. Let's pray. Father. Father. You are the God of compassion and mercy and grace. And as we look at your word today, I pray that we would experience that. That for those who don't believe, may they be enlightened by your Holy Spirit to receive that and see that. And for those of us who do believe, may we just have confirmation of what we already know about you, that you're a God who does good things. And Lord, as I try to pray every single week, I fully am aware and acknowledge that my words without your spirit are simply words. So we ask for your Holy Spirit's power and anointing to be upon what we say today. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 103, starting in verse 1, David says this, Let all that I am praise the Lord, Yahweh. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget, we've read this before, the good things he does for me. And then he gives the first good thing God does. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. Now, Before you start pushing back with that word disease, let me acknowledge it. The word disease there is not speaking primarily of physical diseases. Now, can God heal physical disease? Yes, he has done that. We've seen him do it. And we pray for many of you in our congregation to experience physical healing from diseases when they arise. But he doesn't always do that. So it's helpful to know here, the word disease is used more in a spiritual sense, meaning the effects of sin in our life, the fruit of sin, that God forgives all our sins and heals all the spiritual disease of sin in our life. So the first good thing that God does for us is this. Number one, he saves me. He saves me. And I figured that would be the response. In fact, for the first time I think ever in my preaching, I hope there would only be a smattering of amens. I heard one. I even wrote in my notes, I figured it would get very little amen. I wrote that in my notes. And I would, I'm putting myself in the same boat with you. Because for most of us, those of us who believe In Jesus, we've received salvation by faith in Jesus. We've overused that word saved. We hear it and then we're like, oh yeah, we're saved. And we just move on. We've been around it so much, it no longer affects us. We just don't think anything of it. But let us not forget the gravity of what God has done Through Jesus, for us. David actually gives us a glimpse later on of what God does for us in this salvation. Psalm 103, verses nine through 12, he says this about God. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we, what? Deserve. Hmm. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth, which we still have not discovered the end of the universe in all of our scientific expo- exploration. And he has removed our sins as, as far from us as the east is from the west. He does not treat us as we deserve. That word salvation should ignite a fire in us who have received that and be so grateful for what God has done. Albert Barnes, one of my favorite theologians, said this about the phrase, East from the West, our sins are so removed that they cannot affect us anymore, meaning spiritually. We are safe from all condemnation for our sins as if they had not been committed at all. Wow, so Yahweh, the God who is merciful and compassionate and gracious, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. And if we put our faith in him, he saves us and removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, so much so that it's if we had never committed those sins at all. Like let that sink in. That our God, who is perfectly holy and demands perfection, doesn't hold our unholiness against us. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He saves us from our sin, not by our works, but by His work on the cross. And friends, if that were the only good thing God ever did, it would be enough. If that were the only thing, but he doesn't stop there. He's like a walking infomercial, but wait, there's more. You're going to want to buy it. I promise. Not everything that happens to me is from God, but everything God does for me is good. And the first and most important thing God does for me is he saves me. He saves me. Second thing is this. He stands with me. He stands with me, continuing on in our main scripture, verse four. He redeems me from death, literally the pit. Ever feel like you're in a pit in life? Maybe you're in one right now. He redeems me from the pit and crowns me with love and tender mercies. And my thinking is, how can he redeem me and how can he crown me if he is not standing with me? He's right there in the pit. And listen, outside of of God saving us, the greatest goodness of the God of Christianity is not that he removes us from the pits in life. It's that he redeems us while we are in them that only God, only God, can redeem the pit and turn it around for his purpose and his glory. He stands with us in it. It's not that God removes us from our pain and suffering, it's that he is with us in the midst of it. He crowns us with love and tender mercies in the same way a good parent rushes to the aid of a hurting child to hold them, so our father rushes to the aid of his hurting children and holds them. Psalm 34, verse 18 puts it this way. The Lord, Yahweh, is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. If you're brokenhearted today, if your spirit is crushed Yahweh, the God of compassion and mercy and grace is standing with you. He's redeeming you from the pit and one day he will redeem the pit itself and he's crowning you with love and tender mercies. Do you know where I've experienced this part of God the most? In my small group. It's in christian community often in fact i would say most often god stands with us through other people he stands with us but does it through other people in our circle just recently my wife sabrina and i we were facing some very difficult things in life i'll just leave it at that we didn't know what in the world to do It was a pit, for sure. Immediately, I reached out to some men from the small group that I'm in. I didn't know if they had any experience in what we were facing, but I knew just based on their stage of life, they they could have. So I texted several of them, told them what was going on, and it was not something easy for me to share. But immediately they began responding back. Hey, can I call you? When can we talk? And after talking with with several of them, some of them had faced almost the exact same situation in their life previously. Exact same thing. And God used my community. God used my small group to redeem me from the pit. God used my community, my small group, to crown me with love and tender mercy. No, the problem did not go away. But I knew God was standing with me in it, and he used my small group to do it. Do you have that? Do you have that? Do you have a community of people that you've invited into your life and you've been invited into theirs? A group of of Christian people who God can use to redeem you from the pit, to crown you with love and tender mercies because if you don't, you need one. I need one. This is part of our vision here. We exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, not trivial ones, meaningful ones and make a lasting impact we have a number of small groups actually starting like some of them this week it's not too late to get into a small group I would just I cannot encourage you enough to do it you need it because the pits of life are coming and we need other people that God can stand with us with through those people If you want to sign up, you can go to our website, elementchurch.life. Click on signups. All of our group information is there. If you're here in person, stop by the small groups table out in the lobby. Go to the next steps wall. Just read through the list of groups that are available. And uh, if you have questions, let us know. We'll do our best to get you plugged into one. Not everything that happens to me is from God, but everything God does for me is good. So what good things does God do for me? He saves me, He stands with me. Number three is this: He satisfies me. He satisfies me. David now continues, the first part of verse five, says this: "He fills my life with good things." almost repeating what he said earlier, but it's not the greatest translation. that's the new living translation. Um, I, I usually hate reading the King James Version. It's so hard to understand. I grew up on the King James Version. Maybe you did too. But it's just so hard to understand. But sometimes they get the translation more correct. And this is what the King James Version, how it translates from Hebrew to English, says this about God, who satisfieth my soul with good things. King James is always fun to read, has weird words like satisfieth. Satisfieth my mouth with good things. Put that word there, when it says mouth, doesn't literally mean your mouth. I guess it could, because let's be honest. There are some things I eat that cause me to worship the Lord. Can I get a witness for some good food today? It's almost lunch, I'm making everybody hungry. Like, side note here, a couple of weeks ago, Uh, We went to the Ribbon Chop House here in Cheyenne. We had a delicious dinner. I've, I've never been disappointed there. It's good every time. We normally, we rarely, rarely order dessert anywhere. But this time we ordered dessert. We ordered a satin pie to share. Which if you don't know, I'm going to tell you. And now they're going to get a bunch of business today. It's a graham cracker crust topped with a mixture of peanut butter and cream cheese, then swirled with melted Hershey bars. It's enough to make a Baptist speak in tongues, let me tell you. If you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. It's funny. But I digress. It's it's not talking about our physical mouth, what we eat. That verse, he fills my life or my mouth with good things is is a reference to the mouth being the gateway to the soul. Now that makes more sense. He satisfies my soul with good things. The imagery actually used here, or alluded to, is the imagery of a bird, a mama bird feeding her chicks. Ever seen that before? If you haven't, here you go. Like, we're Lord willing approaching spring in Wyoming. Can I get a witness for that? <laughs> Lord willing, I say. And, and a lot of you guys will have birds that make nests on your porch, in a tree in your yard, whatever. And if you're ever are able to see it, like, I, it's amazing. But the mama bird shows up to the baby chicks. And the chicks instinctively open their mouth in full surrender and trust that whatever the mom puts in their mouth is good. So here's a question for us. Is that our posture towards God? <laughs> As a baby chick, fully trust its mother to satisfy them with good things. Are we fully trusting God? opening the spiritual mouths of our life, saying to him, whatever you give me, whatever you have for me, whatever you ask from me, no matter what you ask me to do, no matter where you ask me to go, I surrender to you because only you can satisfy my soul. That not everything that happens to me is from God, but everything he does for me, is good. So what good things does God do for me? He saves me. He stands with me. He satisfies me. Number four is this. He sustains me. He sustains me. The last part of verse five, David uses now an actual bird, an eagle. My youth is renewed like the eagles. And I, I wondered when I read that. I don't know. There's no direct correlation that we know of but I wondered if the prophet Isaiah, when he pinned Isaiah 40 and God inspired him to do it, was was he thinking of this description of God? Isaiah 40:29 through31 little bit longer description says this, he gives, talk about God, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. That when you think all your strength is gone, in God, Rahum we Hanun, he gives you new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Yahweh, the God of compassion and mercy and grace. Rahum we hanu. That not everything that happens to me is from him. But everything God does for me, it's good. And there's four things that regardless of what happened in your life are true about God by faith in him. He saves me, he stands with me, he satisfies me, and he sustains me. In the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews appears to be calling back to Exodus 34 and this description about about God's name and character. But not only is he calling back to that part of God's character in Hebrews because it's now in the New Testament, post-resurrection from Jesus, he's telling us that because of Jesus and what he did for us, uh, dying in our place on the cross, then rising from the dead and living today that through Jesus, we now have instant access to the throne of our compassionate and merciful God instant access and that when we come to him he'll help us in our time of need Hebrews 4.16 puts it this way so let us come boldly not sheepishly not fearfully boldly to the throne of our gracious God there we will receive his what? mercy mercy Rahum, we, Hanun. And we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. That because of Jesus, we have instant access to Yahweh. You don't have to go through a pastor or a priest, you don't have to slay the blood of an animal like they did in the Old Testament that the blood of Jesus was shed once for all time, the scripture says. And when I've experienced that blood of Jesus to forgive me of my sins, I, through his blood and his priesthood, have instant access to God. I can boldly come to his throne. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and just I want you to ask this question, God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? Maybe you've come to the end of your strength and you need new strength from God to sustain you. Maybe there's an area of your life that you know, I'm, I'm not like that baby chick. I'm I, Lord, I'm not surrendering fully to you to satisfy me. Maybe you just, you need to lean into the presence of God who's standing with you, or I know there's some of you, you don't always feel God standing with you because you have not allowed other people to be his instrument to do it. Or maybe, maybe you've never experienced salvation through the forgiveness of your sins. If that's you, you've never put your faith in Jesus, you can do it right now by simply saying this prayer silently in your heart to God. Father in heaven, Yahweh, I believe. I believe Jesus is God died in my place and rose from the dead so I profess my faith in you Jesus please forgive me of all my sins take them away as far as the east is from the west wash me clean And make me new. I repent. I turn from my old, selfish, sinful way of living. And by your help and your power and your spirit, I will follow you in a new way. I receive from you salvation. Rahum we hanun. The God of compassion and mercy. Thanks for loving me. I'm going to do my best to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here in person or watching online and you prayed that prayer, uh, we'd love to know about it and we wanna help you take your next steps in Jesus. And the best way to do that is by texting us the word ELIFE to the number on your screen, nine four zero zero zero. The number's also on the back of a bunch of chairs there, Uh, but use the word ELIFE to nine four zero zero zero. And if you do that, Uh, We're going to send you a link to download a free resource, no strings attached, that will help you take your next steps in Jesus. There's also a chance for you through that link to sign up for baptism. It is the next step. Uh, after you put your faith in Jesus. And I believe on the sign-up page there are the next six months worth of baptism dates. We do it on the third Sunday of every month. We have one person total today uh, being baptized. That's in the next uh, service. But we'd love to be a a part uh, of of that part of your your journey. If you need prayer for anything, uh, stop by the purple tent in the back of the auditorium or if you're online, click the prayer button and we'll make sure and pray for you there. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about how God is full of unfailing love and faithfulness. I hope this was encouraging for you. Uh, Maybe a little convicting in places, but I pray it moves you closer to our great God. Love you guys. Have an amazing week. You are dismissed. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast or follow us on social media. To learn more about our gathering times in Cheyenne, Wyoming or to take your next step, visit our website, elementchurch.life. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week right here on the Element Church Podcast.